Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we continued our look at Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing as she stepped back from the details of the facts and the law and offered the jurors a proposal for how to analyze the case. In this episode, we follow Dunikowski as she moves on to an assessment of the evidence against William Bryan and then wraps up with one final suggestion to the jury for what this case is all about. That's coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At the end of our last episode, we assessed how Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski used the testimony of Defendant Travis McMichael to bolster her argument. As we begin this episode, Dunikowski starts to do the same with the statements to police by William Roddy Bryan. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Defendant Bryan. You've seen his night out video. I'm not playing it for you again. It's motion activated on the porch. Travis McMichael's white 150 pickup truck comes in front. Driveway decision. And this is important, ladies and gentlemen. This is really important. The PowerPoint card on the court TV fills the screen with the following words. Y'all got him? Why is this important? What does this say? Mr. Bryan from his porch can tell that they are chasing and trying to falsely imprison, stop, define, confine Mr. Arbery. He can tell it from his porch. He knows exactly what they're doing. Y'all got him? He knows what they're doing, and you know what he chooses to do? His independent, independent own decision. I'm going to go join him to try and stop this guy, confine and detain him. He just joins in and starts helping. His driveway decision. That is what being a party to the crime is. You go to help some people who are committing some crimes, trying to stop this guy and detain him and confine him. He joined in. Y'all got him? He knew exactly what the McMichaels were doing. <clears throat> Dunikowski then proceeds through a list of William Bryan's statements to police and why they incriminate him and his fellow defendants. What did Mr. Bryan tell you? So I just kind of sat there for a minute and didn't really know what to do. And then he was trucking. So I mean, he closed in on me quick. And as soon as he got up to me, I overshot the road. I was kind of angled. I overshot the road and forced him to go down into the ditch right there. Aggravated assault with a pickup truck on Mr. Bryan's verdict form, check. And I angled my truck at him again. I think he kind of turned around. I missed him or whatever. I missed him. He was intending to hit him. I missed him. I mean, when you say, well, I missed him, what does that mean you were trying to do? You were trying to hit this person. Then at the scene, he tells Officer Minshew, one time when I cornered him up over here on Burford, 
He was trying to get in my truck. He tried to get in my door. Trying to get in his door. Or, Mr. Bryan, did you get so close to Mr. Arbery that Mr. Arbery had to push off from your truck, getting white fibers from his t-shirt and his palm print on your truck? Because you got so close to him, he had to push off to get away from you. I mean, I can't say for sure that he, he wasn't on the door. I didn't give him a chance to get to the door. But after I angled him off the side of the road, you know, and I kind of went on past him because I didn't hit him, wish I would have, might have took him out and not got him shot. But, you know, I probably got past him a little bit. And he comes up on me, and I could see him in my mirror, and he was coming to the door, and I see his hands right behind the door. Yeah, towards the entrance, towards the entrance. But I, I confronted him again. I angled at him again. We're now at aggravated assault number three. Before we got to the road he was lying on, right at that house that's on the left-hand side, you're heading towards the entrance of the neighborhood. So he confronted him once again, right there at that corner of Holmes and Satilla. I was fixing. I put it in reverse and was going to back up at him. And that's when he made his move to go down the road it happened on. Felony murder, right here. Felony murder for criminal attempt at false imprisonment. Felony murder for aggravated assault with a pickup truck. Mr. Bryan kept Mr. Arbery from running down Satilla Drive and out of Satilla Shores. He redirected him up homes. But for those actions, Mr. Arbery would be alive. Played a necessary and substantial part in the death of Mr. Arbery. All right, so I backed up and started going down that way. I think I angled at him again. Kind of forced him off the road or something right in here. And he turned around. He turned around right here. The black guy did. He turned around maybe down this far or so. He turned around and started running back the other way. And I pulled into a drive or something and started to turn around. Fourth aggravated assault with a pickup truck. The prosecutor next presents the legal argument for why all of this evidence makes all of the defendants guilty of Ahmaud Arbery's murder. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, the indictment. How in the world could defendant Brian be held responsible if he was in his Silverado filming the murder at the time Travis McMichael murdered Ahmaud Arbery? How could Greg McMichael be held responsible? Okay, it's real simple. Party to a crime. The law does, in Georgia, believe that everybody who helped, encouraged, advised, went inside a house and grabbed their son and told him to get his shotgun and come on, they're all equally responsible for the ultimate death of the victim. Because a person is a party to a crime only if that person directly commits the crime. Travis McMichael, pulling the trigger on the shotgun, helps in the commission of the crime. He wouldn't have been able to do that if not for his father and if not for Mr. Bryan. Intentionally advises, encourages. That's what Greg McMichael's doing. Cut him off, cut him off. Go this way. No, I'm going to go that way. What are they doing in the truck? They're working together. Greg and Travis McMichael. That's why they're both responsible. Laura Hope got up here and said, Greg McMichael's not a murderer. Yes, he is. Greg McMichael is just as big a murderer as Travis McMichael is because he's a party to this crime. Okay? When three people chase an unarmed man in two pickup trucks with guns in order to violate his personal liberty, who gets to claim, I'm not really responsible for that? Under the law in Georgia, no one gets to say that. Everybody is responsible. All right, how? All right, I'm going to give you an example. This is just an illustration, just to make a point, okay? Four men drive to a bank to commit an armed robbery, all right? You got the driver who never gets out of the car. You got the lookout who stands outside. You got a guy who goes in without a gun, and you got a guy who goes in the bank and shoots the guard, all right? So who's guilty? Under the law in Georgia, all of them are responsible for aggravated assault, for shooting the guard, and armed robbery, for trying to rob the bank or robbing the bank, all right? 
because they committed the crime or they helped in the commission of the crime or they advised and encouraged someone to commit the crime. And of course you're saying, but Linda, only one person had their finger on the trigger in this case, and that was Travis McMichael. So how do we find Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan guilty of malice murder? Well, under the law in Georgia, it's as if they were all holding the gun together. And in this example, the guy who never got out of the car and was the getaway driver is just as guilty. In this example, the guy who got out of the car and just stood at the front of the bank is just as guilty. Party to a crime. So under the law, all are involved. Why? Well, Greg McMichael, he was seeking to confront Ahmaud Arbery. He was encouraging Travis McMichael to come with him, encouraging Travis to cut him off. Greg McMichael threatened Ahmaud to get him to stop. Okay? We would not be here if it weren't for Greg McMichael. Travis McMichael, without Travis McMichael deciding to actually take his shotgun and help his dad. He could have told his dad, we're not doing this. Calm down. Call the police. There's a whole bunch of decisions both of them could have made that would never have resulted in Ahmaud Arbery's death. He decided he was going to drive his pickup truck to chase Ahmaud, and he got out of that truck with that shotgun. Totally and absolutely unnecessarily. Mr. Bryan, who decided to help the McMichaels, without Bryan, who then assaulted Ahmad in his pickup truck in an effort to falsely imprison him on Burford, without him redirecting Ahmad onto Holmes, without Bryan chasing Ahmad toward Travis McMichael, we wouldn't be here because Ahmad Arbery would not be dead. Doesn't matter who actually pulled the trigger, under the law, they're all guilty, even of malice murder. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski moves on to assess the evidence collected at the scene of the killing of Ahmad Arbery, beginning with Mr. Arbery's body. All right, let's take a look at the crime scene. Of note, Ahmad Arbery had nothing on him, no bag, no backpack, no burglary, no cell phone, no ID, no wallet, no keys, no gun, no weapon, nothing. I'm going to show you some crime scene photos. So what do we have? All right, take a look at this. This is what's important in this picture. These pants are so baggy. Look at this. Look how baggy they are. Look where his belt is. He's running like this. There's no way they believe he had a gun on him. Absolutely no way. Mr. Arbery was shot. First in the torso and through the wrist. All right? He was shot this way where it came out this way. So what's he doing? He's coming around that corner. Here it is. Here it is. His wrist gets shot. There's no way he's striking Travis McMichael. There's no way he's hitting him. I, I don't, we don't know. Did he grab the end of the shotgun? Did he try and push it away? Who knows? What we do know is it happened like this, and Travis McMichael fired. They struggle over the gun. Yeah, then they're struggling over the gun. Two more gunshots, and he gets shot under his left armpit. I am going to show you the crime scene photo. So what do we have? Why do we know he got shot in the wrist? Because of the blood spatter. 
the arterial spurt. Remember? Okay? Why is there blood here in the road in this driveway? From the arterial spurt from the wrist. That's how we know the wrist got shot when he was shot in the torso. And there's the evidence of it in the crime scene photos. What do we also know? Here's the gunshot wound to the torso. Here's the gunshot wound under the armpit. Both lethal, lethal injuries. Travis McMichael, at the end of his interview, the very end of his interview with Detective Nohilly, do you remember if he grabbed the shotgun at all? I want to say he did, but I honestly cannot remember. If he grabbed that shotgun, that would be the first thing Travis McMichael would have said. Yeah, he grabbed my shotgun. In Laura Hoag's closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael, the defense attorney made a cautionary comment that the state might argue on rebuttal that the elder McMichael tried to control the scene of the killing and argued that this was not the case. Prosecutor Dunikowski, in fact, does argue that there is overwhelming evidence, not only that Greg McMichael tried to control the crime scene, but that he succeeded in doing so. All right, we are going to talk about Greg McMichael. Greg McMichael did attempt to control the narrative after this took place. He's the one who started this whole thing, and now his son has killed someone. And the, that young man is laying dead in the street from these shotgun blasts. So what does Greg McMichael do? Well, while first responders are on the scene, he's going up and he's telling his kid, you didn't have any choice. He goes over and he talks to Brian to find out what he saw. Oh, he's got a video. He goes over and he talks to Diego Press. He's outside the crime scene tape, wandering around, talking to people. Someone brings him his phone. A stranger comes up to him. Some stranger, some neighbor comes up to him. I mean, this is a crime scene. There is a deceased young man in the middle of the road. And strangers are walking up to him. And what does he tell the stranger? This guy ain't no shuffler. This guy's an asshole. Malice, right there. That's how you know, right there. Dunikowski punctuates this argument by pointing to all of the evidence that Greg McMichael and his co-defendants received incredibly preferential treatment after Mr. Arbery's killing. 2.15 p.m., he's talking to Captain Tom Jump, the head of CID, the head of the Criminal Investigations Division of Glen County Police Department, while Tom Jump's crime scene tech is taking photos, okay? And then Greg McMichael drives his white truck from the scene. Sheila Ramos never got any pictures of the white truck. Sheila Ramos never got any pictures of the Silverado. Hmm. The white truck was never searched. Mr. Bryan's truck was never searched. Neither of those trucks were impounded. So what do we got? We got this. Outside the crime scene tape, talking to the head of CID. And what happens in, look at the crime scene photos. Take a look at them. What happens next? He drives that truck away. While the crime scene tech is there taking photos. No one said Mr. Arbery had a weapon. Nobody said Mr. Arbery made any verbal threats or gestures. Nobody said I saw him commit a crime today. No one said I'm making a citizen's arrest. No one was trying to arrest him for the crime of anything. No one ever said any of these things on February 23rd, 2020. Much as she did with William Bryan, Donikowski shows the jury a string of statements by Greg McMichael that she argues confirms that he committed the crimes with which he is charged. Greg McMichael's statements to the police. These are important. This is why Greg McMichael is guilty. Did this guy break into a house today? That's just it. I don't know. That's what I told what's her name out there. I said, listen, you might want to go knock on doors down there because this guy just done something because he was fleeing from. I don't know. 
he might have gone in somebody's house. You can't make a citizen's arrest because someone's running down the street and you have no idea what crime they have committed that day. You can't hold somebody so the police can show up to go, well, he must have done something. Why don't you police officers go figure out what it was that he went and did today? But that's what Greg McMichael told the police. Then he was asked, is he picking up anything or going through anything? You know, not that I recall. I don't think the guy has actually stolen anything out of there. Or if he did, it was early on in the process, but he keeps going back over there, over and over again, this damn house. No one ever said, we have evidence that he stole items out of Larry English's boat back on some unknown date, so we were trying to arrest him for that. There's never any mention of Larry English's house and the stolen items off the boat, not by anybody. My intention was to stop this guy so they could be arrested. Never says for what, never says what crime it was he was gonna be arrested for. I don't think the guy's actually stolen anything. Did he break into a house today? I don't know. And in that same sentence, he could be arrested or at least identified. So this is all for identification. This, this whole entire thing, this, this was all to do what? Identify Mr. Arbery. That's what we're doing. That's what Greg Michael says. How do you know it was an attack on Mr. Arbery? Strangers with intent to kill. I yelled, stop or I'll blow your fucking head off or something. I wanted to know that we weren't playing. This is what he said to the police. Now, Thorho got up here and went, oh, uh, yeah, he was just confused. He didn't mean that. He was really, he, was, he didn't remember what he said. Really? He proudly told the police, this is what he said to Mr. Arbery. We're going to kill you if you don't stop. Gregory Michael. Yeah, he was trapped like a rat. Knowledge, intent, that they had committed false imprisonment on Holmes Drive. Right there. Greg McMichael, guilty of all charges. Why? What's your emergency? I'm out here in Satilla Shores, and there's a black man running down the street. By presenting Greg McMichael's statement to the 911 operator in that context, Prosecutor Dunikowski comes as close as she will come in the entire trial to suggesting that the defendants were motivated by racial animus. She follows up by suggesting that Ahmaud Arbery knew what motivated these men by the way they yelled at him and aggressively chased him in their trucks, and that is why he ran from them. This is what we get. Driveway decisions and assumptions. Right here. Bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, they committed four <coughs> felonies against Ahmaud Arbery in violation of his personal liberty before he finally tried to run around their truck after running from them for five minutes. He was trying to get away from these strangers who were yelling at him, yelling at him, threatening to kill him. And then they killed him. Do you have any doubt that they committed all of the charges in the indictment? No. No. Dunikowski moves into her conclusion by reminding the jury of the standard by which they must render their verdict. Remember, a reasonable doubt does not mean a vague or arbitrary doubt. That's a doubt for which a reason can be given. In other words, you say it out loud. I doubt William Roddy Bryan was committing aggravated assault with his pickup truck because it was just reckless conduct. If you can honestly look each other in the eye and say that about Mr. Bryan with a straight face, Ladies and gentlemen, you're the jury, you decide. This is your search for the truth. If you honestly can look at each other and say that out loud, then, then find him not guilty of the aggravated assault. Find him guilty of a lesser, because you decide. You are Glen County. I mean, today you are Glen County. 
remember, this isn't about having personal baggage back in the jury room. It's not about a point of view or an agenda or anything like that. That's not what's going on. Y'all are really, really smart, and you've paid really, really close attention to this case. You're going to determine what really happened based on the evidence, and then you're going to apply the law that the judge gives you to that evidence. It's not about being an advocate for anybody. It's your search for the truth. I suggest once again that you work from the bottom of the indictment. It's just going to be easier. Criminal attempt at false imprisonment, and then work your way through it. It'll help you logically. Remember party to a crime when you're talking about Greg McMichael and Mr. Bryan. The prosecutor then closes with a very specific appeal to these jurors. Here's the thing. This isn't about whether these three men are good people or bad people. That's not what this is about. It's about responsibility. It's about holding people accountable and responsible for their actions. When they do something like this, they have to be held accountable and responsible. Nobody gets a free pass. Okay? Would you get a free pass? Who gets a free pass? No. The law basically says if you commit the crime, you're going to be held responsible. And ladies and gentlemen, when you come back with a guilty verdict on all the charges, this isn't saying somebody's a good person or a bad person. What you're saying is, you know you committed the crime. Now we know you committed the crime too. That's all it is. They know what they did. It's not like they don't know what they did. They know exactly what they did and they know why they did it. It's not a mystery to them. When you come back with your guilty verdict, all you're doing is telling them, we know what you did too. And we're gonna hold you responsible for it. Because guess what you did? You turned this young man into that young man. That's what you did. For absolutely no good reason at all. As Linda Dunikowski says these words, we see on the court TV two images of Ahmaud Arbery. The first is the familiar image of him with a baseball cap and a bright smile. And the second is the image of Mr. Arbery's lifeless face laying on the pavement of Holmes Road. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm asking you to find all three defendants guilty of all the charges in the indictment. Thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we are joined by Georgetown Law Professor, MSNBC analyst, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler, who will offer his assessment of the closing arguments in this trial. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. 
Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.